I'm so glad that you've joined the Deeply Rooted podcast. I'm Sarah. I want to share a little bit about how this podcast came to be. Over a period of time, as I've been in ministry, I've really come to find that there are people that hunger and desire to have encounters with God and to really know more about the God of the Bible. But there are all these different types of denominations, there's different viewpoints on scripture, there are different traditions that perhaps don't allow us to encounter and experience all that God has for us. We know that God is inexhaustible. We know that he cannot be outknown or be exhausted in just knowing who he is. But I would say that there are a lot of people that are wondering if there is more because they have not gotten to see it in their life or the lives of Christians around them. I have been a Christian since I was a little girl and I remember exactly the day that I gave my heart to God. It was a Sunday morning. I was in my little white Mary Janes. Everyone was getting ready and I was done getting ready and I walked outside and there was a crack in the cement at the end of the driveway. And I don't know what it was about that day. I don't know what it was about that morning, but I remember walking up to the very end of that driveway to that crack with my toes pressed up right against it because I wasn't allowed to go over it. And I remember looking out into the neighborhood and it looking so big, so wide, and so enormous. And I remember telling the Lord, you can have my heart because I know you're out there and I want to go where you are out there. And I just remember being very aware of houses and windows and people being behind those windows and inside of those houses and knowing that God loved them and he wanted them to know it. And I wanted to be part of that. But fast forward, even though I had a friendship with God and that I had made that decision at such a young age, there was still so much about God I did not know. But I wanted to know more. And I can tell you that there was one particular moment of transformation. Really, it was desperation that brought me to a place that I encountered God that changed me forever. I was in the corporate world. I had come to a place where it just wasn't working anymore. It wasn't enough. I didn't know what to do with my life. I felt far from God. I felt far from this God that I knew was my friend. I hadn't grown in more understanding. But church seemed to be very disinterested in more of God, but really more interested in just doing showing up, checking a box. That was not what I wanted. I, I wanted relationship with the God of the universe. It was in my car that I was sitting there and I'm crying. I'm just bawling my eyes out, asking God, what does he want from me? And what does he want me to do? And what am I to do? Just at a crossroads. And I heard his voice so very clearly. He said, do you remember Sarah, when you gave me your life? And I knew exactly he was talking about that moment with my little toes pushed up against that driveway crack in the cement. And I said, yes, Lord, I remember. And I heard him say, Sarah, I'm going to keep you at your word. You gave me your life. I'm going to take you up on it. 
And I said, what does that mean? He then gave me clear instructions on what to do next. The next day I gave my notice at work and I packed up in three weeks time. I lived in a new town with a new job and was starting over with a new call from the Lord. Everything changed in my life after that. The Lord was not messing around. He was taking me seriously and it was time for me to take him seriously. As I started encountering his grace and his mercy and seeing how he actually wanted to know me, not just me know him, a relationship began to form where he started healing my heart in community and in the church that I was going to. He started renewing my mind from the past in ways that I can only say are supernatural. It was through these encounters that I had with the Holy Spirit that were unexpected, but completely transformed me into the person that I am today and the person that I get to be. A lot of that has to do with the prophetic. It has a lot to do with the way that the Lord has put gifts in me and how those he has gifted in the church have served me and loved me and cared for me and been part of building me up into who God's made me to be. I began to realize that the more I learned about how he wanted to know me and I him in this relationship, that God was much bigger than just a felt board with Bible characters. That God was so much bigger than just a quiet time Devo 15 minutes in the morning. That God was so much bigger than setting a time to pray. That God had so much more. That he could actually talk to me throughout my day. That he would actually send people to confirm decisions if I prayed and asked him to. That he would actually lead and guide through holy supernatural encounters with angels that were beyond what I could understand. I remember just thinking, how is this something I was never told? How is this something that no one ever talked about with me? That I could encounter God in a prophetic way. Why? did I not know about this? And as I have learned about specifically my own gifting in the prophetic and my own purpose on how to serve the church, I have come to find so many people don't know how God has gifted them, how he has built them, how he has hardwired them to actually live in community and how to bring about spiritual solutions into worldly problems and situations. How he equips us to build up one another through spiritual gifts. It's so important that we know these things. It's so important that we're talking about these things, not for the sake of ourselves, but this gives glory to the Lord. And we get to know him in ways that are transforming us from mind to heart to body. I believe that there is more healing. There is more provision. There is more mercy. There is more grace. There is more forgiveness than we have any idea how to comprehend or receive. And yet it's those things that we seem to find hardest to access because of our limited understanding of how God loves us. 
these next podcasts that you're going to be hearing specifically around the prophet and the prophetic are facing some of the ways the truth of God and his word about spiritual gifts and the prophetic have been held back or hindered in certain places in God's community how it's actually been something that's been silenced, that's been stifled, that's been pressed down out of fear, out of ignorance, out of control, and out of misunderstanding. And I hope to be part of changing some of those things. As you listen and you listen to our conversations with various people, my heart and my prayer is that you are going to hear how God wants to teach and equip and have his people hear him and not be hindered by the need to control or silence things that maybe we don't understand or maybe things that we haven't been taught but are in the word, that we would not fear that God is going to be mishandled by speaking about things that maybe just aren't very common. I know I just said a lot there, but there are some of you who are gonna hear that and say, that's been my experience too. And there's others there. I ask that you keep an open heart and an open mind with holding the word and in that tension you would listen and sift and take it to the Lord and say that goes against what I know but does God say it's true if he does if that's being pressed on if you're being convicted to that point then friend I hope that you would embrace fully the message that God is speaking to your heart and your spirit right now. And you would allow him to maybe change your mind on some things that came from tradition and not from the truth of his word. He has so much for you. He has so much for me. And I, I want all of it. I want all of it. And I want for you to encounter just as I want as much as possible, as much as we can on this earth, that we would be able to experience and know and encounter the presence of God in such a way that anybody who is with us would say, they've been with Jesus. Even if they don't know his name, they would know that something is different because of the way that he has transformed us and is radiating out of us like a light on a hill. So this is the journey that we're about to step into. And it's a journey that anyone is invited to come alongside. And we hope, we pray that you would be touched and blessed and cared for and even become more curious about what God says about who we are and who he calls us to be. I think when we talk about the prophetic ministry specifically, but also in the framework of the fivefold, that that is something that is God's design to build his body. And I think it is something that is incredibly overlooked um, and not valued. And in doing so, does brings a great injustice to the people of God. And I think it limits our ability, as Ephesians 4 says, to experience the fullness in Christ. Yes, absolutely. And 
who are we that we would be even talking about these things? Right. <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, who are these people? Well, my name is Sarah, and um, both Illy and I work for um, the same organization with youth. We work in separate areas in different sides of the states of Washington, but we're both ministry-focused. Um, Ilya has a lovely wife named Taylor. She is just the dearest and such a beautiful compliment to Ilya and who he is. And I operate with just the Lord over. Amen. Um, Amen. That's right. Count it all joy. And I count it a joy that I get to work in ministry and God has given me a lot of freedom and a lot of ability to do that as a woman who is single in ministry and love to do that. We are not just ministers of the gospel. We do not just do ministry. We have other loves and passions, but Jesus is the number one out of all of them. And he is not the ministry. He is the person, the one, the only one, the one way. The one and only. So our hope is in this podcast that you would just come along with us and listen and hear just what God is teaching us. We are not going to exhaust everything about the prophetic. We're not looking to do that, but we are looking to just share how we've encountered the Lord, what we've learned to be true in his word and how that impacts how we serve the body and how we believe the Lord wants the body to be served through that gifting. Yeah. Like you said, this is, I mean, we were just laughing about it before we started recording because one, who the heck are we even to be talking about this? But two, um, this is, there's so much on this um, that it's really overwhelming. But I would say beyond our sphere of influence and leadership um, in the mission of Young Life, I think we both feel a burden for the greater church because no one, I don't think a lot of people are talking about this. So there isn't a safe space to ask questions or be wrong and feel, feel that. Um, so I think more than that, we feel a burden for the body of Christ and wanting to, I guess, set the table for a conversation. And I think with that said, I think the reason why we made this our first episode is um, I think it's only appropriate to begin talking about the prophetic uh, by talking to a prophet. And, oh, can't get emotional. Um, Sarah has been a really dear friend of mine. So it only feels right to begin the conversation by talking to somebody who's not just prophetic, but somebody who I think really does truly fill the office of a prophet, as we see in Ephesians 4 and in and throughout the New Testament. So I think, unfortunately, not a lot of people have the luxury of knowing somebody who is a prophet and somebody who is incredibly gifted in the prophetic and not just gifted in the sense of power, but somebody who wields it with incredible maturity and who's been walking in this for a really long time. And so I wanted to just ask maybe some questions that people have wanted to ask a prophet and just pick your brain and maybe we can riff on, on some of the other stuff yes. and see where the Lord takes the conversation. Are you good with that? Yes, let's do it. So the first question that came to my mind was, um, have you always known that you were prophetically gifted? And when did that start for you? I love this question because the truth is, any gifts that I ever knew when I was little, I didn't know that they were actually gifts. I had no idea that they were not normal. 
and that they were not something that everyone else experienced. When I gave my life to the Lord, and I remember it very, very clearly, I think I was either five or six years old, but I remember the moment that I gave the Lord my life. And I just had this love for Jesus. I came from a home that was very biblically founded, even if it was slightly cessationist. It had a foundation of biblical truth. And Sarah, I just want to rudely interrupt for a second, throwing out terms like cessationist. Some people might not know what that means. If right. if you don't know what that means, uh, cessationism is uh, that the gifts had ceased after the apostolic age. So after the book of Acts and the death of the original 12, well, Matthias plus Paul, 13 um, apostles, that the gifts, the miracles, the signs, the power had ceased um, with their lives. Um, so that's what Sarah's referring to. So I had a household that did not teach on gifts, fully believed that the Holy Spirit was part of the Trinity and that was the gift that we were given in salvation. And so um, definitely taught about that, but not the gifting that is given also to the person that has been saved. And so I remember experiencing a lot of supernatural things, experiencing dreams that would come to pass. I would hear people say, well, the Lord told me, so I would think that they heard the Lord the same way that I did and assumed that the way I heard like Samuel was how everybody heard the Lord. So for a long time, even dark things, seeing things that were demonic, encountering shadows and fear and things that were not of the Lord, but having supernatural sense to them. When you walk into a room, you can tell exactly what's happening in the spiritual world mm -hmm. and you can discern it and you can be like, okay, this issue is over here and this is at war over here. And you're not looking at the people. You're literally looking at the supernatural at work around the people and through the people. So it could be either from the Lord or from the enemy. And I thought everybody could see and hear and feel the way that I was. And so I acted the way that I saw people acting with those things and held them inside. And I also didn't really have a space to talk about them in my home or in church because these things weren't talked about. And I think what happened in that is not having that space to verbally talk about it and discuss it and discover it and learn about it brought a lot of fear with it. It attached fear to it. And so I knew that I was experiencing supernatural things, but I wasn't operating in them in health or in understanding. And so I kept silent. And I know that there are a lot of people, even as adults, that do the same. I remember I had an interesting conversation with a pastor one time. We were having a conversation about First Corinthians 12. We are talking about spiritual gifts. This is when I was kind of beginning to wake up to the reality, the, the spiritual world around us. And I remember talking to him and he, in the same breath, affirmed that the supernatural, the gifting, the outpouring of the spirit was an apostolic age. It's an Acts movement. And then in the same breath told me he's had visions of him 
when he was weary from ministry of angels carrying him from his seat to the pulpit mm. so that he could keep preaching. And I was like, wait, like you see those things? Cause I knew I had dreams about stuff, you know? And I'm like, wait a second, this is the same guy who will preach that from the pulpit. But in secret, he sees angels. He sees he visions from God and angels come down ministering to him while he's preaching in his weariness. And I was like, man, if, if he's seeing that, how many other people are doing the same thing? where they have experiences that they don't have words for or even a space to address them because they don't want to be called crazy or unbiblical, right? Right. Using quotation, air quotation uh, marks right now. So you end up, I guess, going out into the wilderness. Yes. And that's where you spend your time. And that's a great way to describe what the first half of my life felt like. It was like a complete wilderness where I felt really alone. I felt isolated. I felt different. I felt like a danger, like I was almost dangerous to some people when I would hear them mock or make fun of or discredit prophetic things. And I was not raised in a church that was Pentecostal or charismatic. I had no influence of that. The only thing I had was supernatural encounters that I was having through growing in my faith and learning about Jesus and who he was. And then you're, you know, you're developing, you're going through puberty and you're going through early adulthood all things, and all yeah. the trauma of your yeah. life oh. that comes and, and dealing with that. And so the supernatural things that you're encountering, if you don't have understanding, they become a burden and you feel like it's a problem. And you want to hide it because you're like, man, I've got these issues that are just natural issues with the world and with my life. How much worse is it going to get if I bring this to the table as well and tell people, oh, and by the way, I had this vision or by the way, I saw this demon um, hovering over this person who is dealing, dealing with addiction And you're just like, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I don't know what to do with this. And God in his graciousness has covered my mind. And I would say just by pursuing the Lord, just by pursuing him in his presence, he did what he promises and says that he will do. He renewed my mind. He put a guard over my heart as I put on the armor of God. And it's the only way I truly believe I've gotten to this point is because of what God did and how he protected me in the midst of my ignorance, because I was completely ignorant to what I was encountering. And it wasn't until I was like, okay, I give up as an adult. I can't ignore these things anymore. I've got to acknowledge that this is real. I've got to acknowledge that there is something on me that is different Because as an adult, you start to understand and discern, okay, I am different in some ways than other people. And because it's not being talked about, you don't know why. But I came to a point of surrender with the Lord where I said, okay, I didn't want to be the freak show. I didn't want to be the crazy person, but I love you too much to ignore it. Would you teach me? And I asked Holy Spirit to teach me. I didn't know as a youth I could do that. And I didn't have an adult. But as an adult, I was like, okay, if I don't see it in the room, the Lord is in the room. So he's the one to ask. So asking Holy Spirit, teach me about these things. 
And as he did, something amazing and extraordinary began in my life. And that's when really my calling began. The training for my calling started from a little, little kid. But the actual stepping into my calling and saying, okay, we're going to do this, Lord, was when the Lord started to reveal in scripture everything that I was encountering outside in just my life that was supernatural. He started showing me where it was in the scripture. What age were you in this process? So you said early adulthood or in adulthood is when you finally said, okay, I'm done. Like, I need to address this. And I guess I'm not getting sufficient answers with the system that I was living in before. Where do I go from here? And in your journey, at what point did that begin to shift? I guess a little context for my life. That wilderness didn't just carry over spiritually. That wilderness carried over into everything I did with my life. It carried over into my job. It carried over into my school. I kind of wandered in and out of things. I was a Starbucks manager. And so I worked for Starbucks for years and kind of just did my own thing and ignored the Lord and just tried to be a nice person (laughs) and try to be successful. And then I moved into wanting to be a nurse and thought, okay, I'm going to give school a try. I'm a terrible terrible student. (laughs) Like sitting in a classroom for hours is not my thing, but I can sit with the word for hours and be content as a clam. But I was living for myself in my early twenties, trying to find out what success is, trying to be corporate, then going on saying, okay, nurses make a lot of money. And I have a care for and a compassion for people that are hurting. So I'll pursue that. And none of it filled me. None of it filled me. I just finally was like, okay, I'm just going to focus on my relationship with the Lord while I was going in pre-nursing school. And as I did that, he called me into ministry. It was when I decided to really focus on actually understanding the word and knowing who I was in my identity with the Lord in my late 20s that that's when the call came. I remember sitting in my car weeping because I was so unfulfilled. And I remember asking, Lord, is this all there is? And I heard the Lord speak so clearly. He said, do you remember when you said I could have it all at five years old? And I was like, yes, I remember. He says, I'm keeping you at your word. I'm keeping you at your word. I want it all. And I said, okay. Wow. So coming around full circle from when you were five, in the theological world, that's lordship salvation, right? Like Lord... He's Lord of all. Yes. And so when you were five, that was it. I want it all. And do you think when you were five was the initial maybe planting of the the calling, the seed of like, this is the beginning to then coming around full circle as an adult and going, oh, okay, now I have a framework for what this is and what I'm being called into. A thousand percent. I knew exactly what God was talking about because I remember the decision and the choice. It was a decision and a choice. All of me was part of it. My mind, my heart. There's no junior Holy Spirit. It doesn't. Yeah, amen. Come on. It doesn't discriminate on your age. Yep. And my dad, actually, interesting enough, had a very similar experience. He went to the altar at four years old and gave his life to the Lord. Wow. I didn't know that till years later. My mom 
uh, would bring this up all the time. It actually irritated me when I was growing up um, <laughs> because I was just in rebellion against God. But she said when I had to have been like five uh, around there because we moved to America when I was almost nine. And so it had to have been around that time frame when my dad was a pastor and I'd wear his jacket and I'd walk around with his Bible and I would be preaching to myself, walk around the living room. I also had a similar revisitation of those things when, when I said yes to Jesus as well, Wow. saying yes. So that's, it's just interesting. Alan Hirsch has a book called 5Q. Sarah and I were talking about this earlier. There is not a lot of great resources available on the prophetic and the apostolic, but specifically the prophetic. Because I think with the apostolic, you can go down the route of, oh, sent one, CEO, governor. Like there's terminology that we can anchor ourselves in where the prophetic, there just isn't as much. And some of the books that I've read, honestly, some of them are just not even biblical. Like I think some of the stuff that I've read, I'm like, is this connected to a church tradition? Is this in history? Is this anchored in a verse? Like, where are you getting this from? And I'm in in the space where, I mean, I don't think everything has to have an anchor, but it has to have an anchor in the Lord. Right. So I'm like, are you just making this stuff up, you know? Um, But one of the really helpful resources I've read as of late is this book called 5Q. It's a book by Alan Hirsch, who's really great and adds a lot of wisdom uh, in the book in regards and as a biblical framework around understanding the prophetic. Um, one of the things that he mentions in regards to calling that I wanted to ask you if you'd resonate with is that when a prophet feels called, it's distinctly personal. It involves a strong inner impulse towards a particular course of action and that there is this overwhelming sense of divine conviction. Almost like, even if I wanted to walk away, I couldn't. Like, there is something that is beyond me. And I want to be careful when I use the word weight. But there is kind of this weight of, man, even if I wanted to pursue other things, I would not be fulfilled. And it's not attached to success. And we'll, we'll talk about this later, the journey of a prophet. But it's not attached to worldly things. It's like, no, this is from the Lord. And if I disobeyed. I'd be going against God himself. Do you resonate with that? Yes. That's exactly what I experienced in my wake up moment with the Lord um, as an adult. And that encounter in the car, like I quit my job the next day. In three weeks, I was moved into a different space and I was just giving the Lord everything. And I started practicing just literally asking him, what do you want me to do today? And asking him questions all day rather than just making random decisions because I needed him to show me how to think like he thought. And I I learned that through the Holy Spirit teaching me, which in the word, it says the Holy Spirit will give you everything that you need. I took him up on that. Mm. I'm like, if if you're going to take me up on my word, I'm going to take you up on your word. Yeah. And, and not in a challenge, but like game on, let's go. You're all I got. And the thing is, is that when I encountered through that process of leaning in and seeking him and finding him, actually finding Jesus after seeking him, he started to heal me in places that I had deep wounds. He started to renew my mind to think in ways that I never had before. He started to remove old memories from past rebellion that I no longer wanted. No, it did not serve me. 
it did not serve my story and it didn't serve his story. And he totally removed those though. Even if I tried to go back, I couldn't get access to them. When I started to experience encounter the transformation that comes, we give a surrendered heart to Jesus and the transformation tasted better than anything else in this world. Then I remember when it got hard, it got hard. It's not, it did not get easy. It got hard leaning in and learning how to function in my gifting, learning what it meant, giving it names and identity and understanding its purpose. It got hard, but it was another moment in my car. It was like the safest place <laughs> in my car. weeping. Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> let's, let's go in a parking lot. Yeah. Saying, Lord, where would I go? You've ruined me in the best way. I taste and see that the Lord is good. I tasted him and I have not been able to get enough since. When you encounter the Lord in that way, to say no to anything he asks, you know that it's wrong. And it becomes turning away from you because you find yourself in him. So you're not only denying him, you're also denying yourself and who he made you to be. Right. Because calling is so, I think so personal. It is so ingrained in your DNA. I think our calling is the nucleus of the cell of our being. So to go against God would be to go against yourself in that sense. And I, and I want to also say specifically with the prophetic and the office of a prophet, a lot of the things uh, that the Lord asks you to do aren't fun things. They're not like, I think sometimes we, we there think, are people right now laughing, hearing you say that. Yeah. They're just not. I mean, like you look through the old Testament uh, and new Testament. And I think about how many times the prophet was the one, the bearer of bad news. He was the guy that said, Hey, I, I love that you're indulging in your sin, but we made a covenant with God. Let's go back to that. I was even reading last night. There's a new Testament prophet comes up twice. And one of the times, and his name is Abigus, mm-hmm. I believe. And he, one of the times, not only does he warn the people, this is an ax, he warns the people of a famine, but the second time he binds Paul with his own belt and tells him, what I'm doing to you is what Rome will do to you. And the people around Paul wept for him. They did not reject him. They wept for that prophetic word. And so I think about just what comes with the territory is not... A lot of the time, like, hey, this is really fun. Because I think sometimes when people look at somebody who's gifted, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12, these gifts tend to be elevated. But then what comes with the gifts is a really difficult cross to bear. And I don't think that gets talked about a lot. No. And you are specifically talking about the office of the prophet, Mm -hmm. not prophetic gifts. Yes. I think that Mm -hmm. is a distinction worth making. We need to differentiate that. There is a difference between the prophet and the gift of prophecy. What do you think is the difference between somebody who is prophetic and then somebody who is a prophet? So a prophet is who you are. It is something that you don't get to call yourself. It's not a title that you put on yourself. It is the person and the call that God has given. And that call is to equip and serve the body of Christ, to draw them to the heart of God, to help them understand how to hear God and his voice for themselves, not to listen to your voice, but the voice of God. It is not a personality. 
it is just your person. Function. It is the yeah. function. Yes. The function of how to do those things that I just mentioned. That's a prophet. To have a gift of prophesying, that is something that every believer has. And that is through words of knowledge. It is through different ways that we um, lean on the Holy Spirit and we hear the Holy Spirit speak to us to encourage and exhort and build up the church, not tear down, not to like, oh, I see that person. They have something. I'm going to give them a prophetic word, which is really just a manipulative underlying teaching moment that you would like to say, but don't have yeah. the guts to say. So. Right, right. The passive aggressive prayer. Oh. Lord, would you help this person figure it out? Lord, <laughs> you know me. what I mean? I, yeah, it is not that. It is to build up the church um, through words of knowledge and words that the Holy Spirit or pictures um, that the Holy Spirit gives his people in the body of Christ. And that is where I think we lack a lot of teaching. And it's almost like you you have to go to a certain denominational church in order to receive that kind of teaching, which is simply the actual written word. It's pretty discouraging to those who are prophetic or understand the prophetic or who are learning the prophetic to find that you can't walk into church and be taught the word about it. The failure to equip. And I think all of the offices have like caricatures or stereotypes uh, but I think the prophetic is one that gets lumped in with the negative ones. And so they're then because of that, they don't have a space to walk in and go, Hey, here's what I'm experiencing. Um, help me navigate through this. And I don't, I think a lot of times in certain church traditions, um, in theological circles, we don't have a framework for that. And I think the negative response becomes psychoanalyzing. It becomes um, medicating in certain instances. And I think that's that's a great injustice, um, not only to the God who authored those gifts and planted them in people, but to the person themselves. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And when we talk about function in, in the book 5Q, functions, the actions or activities assigned to a particular person, thing, or organization Functions embody the purpose of which someone is designed to exist. The function is operating. It is the function the, of the prophet. Right. It is the arm, the extending arm of the body that you are called by God for a specific task and a purpose. And then the function is the branch that extends. And I love what you said about uh, building up the body. And I think yes. a very practical distinction uh, to be made could be with us is I what encouraged me to reevaluate my interpretation of scripture, um, which was going on six years ago or wow. six years ago when uh, Sarah and I had met. And I am somebody who just deeply loves the word of God. I love to study it. I'm going to seminary for it. It is something that's in my DNA um, to want to honor God that way, to understand God in his revealed word. But what got me to reevaluate my interpretation of scripture was not the word. Initially, it was an encounter and specifically with Sarah. So when Sarah and I met and we had a friend 
who introduced me to Sarah and he was telling me, man, she's praying for me. She's giving me these words and they're speaking directly to my heart. She's speaking into spaces in my life that only God knows. And that was what piqued my curiosity because I'm a skeptic. And so I'd start asking like, well, did you mention these things to her? Did you like, I started picking some things apart early on. I did not know this. You didn't know that? Okay. So there's so much curiosity because I think there was a hunger in me to understand because I felt like something was missing and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I knew, 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 knew deep in my bones that some of my own rebellion was coming from hurt, not because there's a great biblical case for it. There's a lot of curiosity. And so I went from skeptic and we met at Discipleship Weekend at Young Life at Creekside. And I remember I was working the sound booth, which Lord, please never again. And I remember Sarah... Way to volunteer. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I remember Sarah came up to the sound booth and it was just her and I, um, and she put her hands on the sound booth, uh, like arms crossed on the table. And she said, Hey, would you like me to pray for you? And without hesitation, I said, yes. Like it was almost like I've been waiting for her to ask because I didn't want to be weird about it. And I remember there was a shift that happened when Sarah sat down because I can't, and I had some of these negative stereotypes in my mind and I've had really terrible experiences in charismatic circles growing up. And so when I sat down and Sarah said, Hey, before we start, before I pray for you, I just want to let you know, if I say anything that contradicts the word of God or what he's spoken to you, please disregard it. It is not from the Lord. And I knew that that was a safe space, that my insecurities, my criticism, my skepticism was welcome. And when we sat down and you prayed, and I won't mention the things that you prayed for because they're deeply personal, but the things that you prayed for, Sarah and I did not know each other at that point. There, there was not a six year friendship. There was no, no, you were the guy behind the soundboard that I was like, how did we get this guy to do the soundboard? Like he does not know what he's doing. Yeah. That was me. I was that guy but he's so cool. volunteering. Um, and there was no way that there was a chance that she just guessed this stuff. Right. Um, all skepticism went out the window when she started praying about my family, my marriage, my calling. And my fears, my fears and things about my marriage, there was things that I was carrying with me that were just between God and I, my wife doesn't know, my best friends don't know. There was things that, things that I've been wrestling with the Lord and Sarah spoke specifically to those things and not just to those things, but in great detail, there was no guessing. There's no way. And I knew it was from the Lord. In that moment, it felt like I got super sunburned this last summer, putting burn gel on your skin. There was this relief. There was a pain and then there was relief and there was a a freedom. And I don't cry often. I hate crying. I remember I wept, like ugly cried. Yeah, just ugly cried. Um, And I haven't cried that hard since I gave my life to the Lord. And it was this coming around full circle with me, but it was that encounter that drove me back to go, okay, wait a second. And now I had a framework, a filter through which I'm reading the scriptures to look for it. Because when you are told that it doesn't exist, you don't have a filter through which you're looking for those things. And since then, Sarah has equipped me to operate in my prophetic gifting. She's, she's that uncomfortable phone call. (laughs) 
It freaks him out sometimes. It, it does. <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable. And, and I think for me, it's coming from a place of I've been hurt and I don't want to hurt. Right. And so I, I just want it to be pure. And so I'm reluctant. And Sarah's always, uh, for a while, I think she was the uncomfortable phone call. If I knew Sarah was calling, even though I deeply loved her, she was going to challenge me in a sorry. way that I, uh, I, I just wasn't comfortable with, but I knew I needed to do. And so it was like, every time Sarah's calling, I'm like, Oh, the Lord is going to have me practice this. I just know it. And she would just say, Hey, like, could you just pray for me or directly asking how my prayer life is going? How my quiet time is going? Am I creating margin in my life to have these conversations with the Lord? Um, and am I practicing those gifts. It's like a wounded muscle that you need to stretch. You need to work. It will hurt. It needs to recover, but it will grow. It's really good. Guaranteed that it will grow. And so that's where I think I've encountered prophetic people. I would say I am a prophetic person, but the difference between me and Sarah is Sarah is an equipper. She's a builder. That is how I see the office functioning. And she's called to the church, not to young life, not to a specific pastor or whatever, she's called to the church to equip the saints. I think something that you also brought up that is really important that is a principle and should always be discerned and sought after and looked for. And that is, is that when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, when you have an encounter with God, with Jesus, the Trinity, you will have an experience and that experience will draw you to the word. So just as my experience and my encounters with the Holy Spirit and the supernatural drew me back into the word and to know what the word says and let the word read me, not just me read the word because it's living and active. Yes, that is so good. You know, hearing you say, having that encounter, that prophetic word spoken over me that hit so deeply to my soul, it drew me back where I had maybe wandered away and it drew me back to the truth of who he is. And it drew me to him. When you're encountering prophetic experiences, you are never just going to sit in the experience. You should always be going back to the word and letting the word soak in to that newly opened place. Because otherwise you go into culture and culture takes over that space that's just been broken open before the Lord and culture influences it, but we want kingdom to influence it. And that's what builds and grows maturity. That's what builds and grows purity. And that's what protects the holiness of what you've encountered. I think encounter, um, I just finished a class on acts and it reminded me of, uh, when Paul is doing his missionary journey, this is Acts 17. He goes to Thessalonica, and this is the, the birth of the church in Thessalonica. A theme in Paul's journeys is the synagogue. He always goes to the synagogue to preach, right? So he's in this place full of teachers of the Old Testament, and he's proclaiming the revelation of the mystery of God, which is Jesus Christ. He's preaching this. And they are stirred with jealousy and drive him out. He then goes to Berea and him and Silas are proclaiming the mystery 
of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ. And their response is completely different. He calls them noble because the revelation drove them to search the scriptures eagerly to see if what he was saying was true. Some of the best and worst, in my opinion, of I think some of the charismatic circles, the best is encounter. I think, man, I've, in the last five years, went to a Bethel conference, went to a small home church where I think the gifts were really powerful on display, but the focus was on encounter and encounter only, as if the encounter was the means to the end. And I felt like a lot of times it felt like they opened the door, threw a grenade in the room and shut it. Mm. And it's, and then they just left it there. And so people have this encounter and then don't know what to do with it. Right. And that's where confusion can happen. Yeah. Confusion, if they don't have a place that's of good teaching of the prophetic, then they're going to be left to wonder. This is where you have to be so careful that that's why the word protects prophetic. The word covers it. The word has to cover it because it can get so perverted so easily, which is why people are scared of it. People are so scared in the church. The church is scared of the prophetic because it can't be controlled. But if it's not taught and ordered, it leads to be defined by culture. What you just said there, I thought that was really good. It can't be controlled, but it needs order. And I think that's a really great way to talk about the prophetic. I think that's what Paul is hinting at when he's writing to the, to the Corinthian church is like there's there's power on display, but there's order that's required. Yes. And I think that is where the prophetic needs to be tethered to the fivefold, which is it is not a one person running the show. It's not the person who's platformed. It's not a personality. Not a personality. Um, it is an office amongst five that operate in unity together, which I think is really important. One of the biggest challenges that I face, you know, I don't, I don't go around telling people I'm a prophet. Right. <laughs> hey, um, I'm Sarah. I'm a prophet. Nice to meet you. Prophetess Sarah to you. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that doesn't happen. It doesn't exist in my world. I've actually not been the one to call myself that. But the Lord privately spoke those functions over me. But then it was called out publicly by church leadership down the road as I grew in maturity with my giftings and understanding of it. That's how I came to understand that I have a seat in this office. But it's not about the title. And there's a lot of people who don't understand the difference between the office of the prophet and prophetic words that are within the church for the believer. And they are looking, how do I get that? How do I get that? And what they're looking for is authority because they they could be really gifted. They could be incredibly gifted prophetically, but not be a prophet. Yeah. But if they were to hold that title, it would give them authority to maybe do something that they feel compelled to do. And maybe it's the draws attention, uh, the draws power. The draw is a lot of things that come with being in a leadership role. And authority is certainly amongst one of those. And we see that in the other offices as well. This is not just to the prophet. What I would say is that if God has privately confirmed that, brought that, highlighted that to you, that you are a prophet, that you have the functions 
of the prophet as a call in your life, as the person that you are, that's just built into you, that's in your DNA, as you said, then grow in those functions mm-hmm. and just serve the church with them. Yeah. Just serve yeah. the church. Love the church with them. Yeah. And don't ask, don't self-promote because self-promotion will require you to keep it going. Yourself will have to keep that promotion going. I also think it's a sign of impatience because it's a process. Like sanctification is a process. Glorification does not happen this side of heaven, right? Either, either when Christ returns or when we cross the threshold of from life to death to life, it's a process. And I think some people get really impatient because maybe you are called to be a prophet. Maybe you are called to serve the body but you become impatient with the process and the growth that comes with it comes at the expense of death to us. Yes. So as God is shaping us and molding us, I think sometimes we become impatient with the process and try to grasp up when he's like, no, 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 I will, I'll give it to you. You don't take it out of my hand. Um, and it becomes premature. And then I think one of the things that happens, you become you are given a platform that your character, which takes time, is not ready for. Good. That's when you have really powerful anointing or power in the gifts, but then the person is really immature. That brings to mind a, a memory of when I was impatient. <laughs> because what the Lord desires for you, whether you're, no matter what function you operate in, no matter what giftings you have, there comes a time when you can hear the call of God, but you're not ready to step into it. Like you're saying, you haven't built the maturity. You haven't gotten the growth and the understanding behind it yet to actually go out and fulfill the mission. You're still in training. But I remember feeling this passion of knowing that God was calling me to equip and build in leadership and, and leaders but there was zero platform. There was zero platform mm. for me. Yeah. And no one saw me. No one saw me. And no one was listening to me. But I didn't really talk. But I I was starting to be obedient with giving words when the Lord told me to give words. And I, it was accurate. And I was shocked. Like, I'm like, wow. I, well, bless you. Like, you you give it and you run, right? You're like, wow, glad that worked out. Bye. Um, but there was no platform, but I knew God was going to put me on one. So I had this tension of what are you doing? What are you doing? And I kept on asking that. Like, it wasn't why, it was what are you doing in me and through me? What are you preparing me for? When is this going to happen? When is the platform going to come? When are the people going to see me? Like when and what and where? And I got this picture of me really little. And if you don't know me, I have really curly hair and it's really big. I was really little and my hair was just wild. I was smiling and giggling and running towards the Lord. And I saw his hands with this beautiful, expensive vase. He was bringing the vase down to my little arms. But what I saw was a toddler running haphazardly (laughs) 
And the Lord was holding the vase. He was showing me the vase, but he wasn't handing me the vase. And I remember him so clearly saying, Sarah, I'm about to give you something so valuable that I have to trust you with. And you're not mature enough and ready to hold it. So you can see it. You can grow to appreciate it. You can grow Mm -hmm. to love it. And you can know that it's good and for me. But you are not ready to hold it. And when you are, you can be certain I will give it to you. And who's going to give an expensive, valuable vase to a toddler? Because what I saw was if he gave it to me now, I would drop it and it would shatter into a million pieces. And that's what happens when we try to step into something before God gives it to us. Hmm. We end up breaking it in some way because we don't have the equipping that is required to value it, to safeguard it, and to be trustworthy with it because it is holy from God. Yeah, I just got a picture of, like, if you drop that vase and it breaks into a million like pieces, now people are walking on shattered glass. Mm. All because you were not ready to take on the thing that the Lord was going to give you at some point in time, but we got impatient. And now people are walking on shattered glass. And that's like what God gives us isn't wrong. It's good. And it's so valuable, worthy, expensive. But we have the ability, if we are not postured before the Lord the way he's asking, if we do not go in humility to learn and be equipped and look at it through his lens and understanding, we have the ability to cause great harm. And that, I think, is what scares people the most. But if we're teaching people, if we're equipping people, if we're building them up and we're giving them understanding, from the word, then there's nothing to fear. And when it's in the context, the framework is loving relationship. When someone is estranged, it becomes a fearful thing. But when it's in the context of relationship, it's a beautiful thing. And you have some way of navigating through the mysteries of it. And there is mystery around it. I I know you've given me prophetic words that I've just sat with for a little bit, and that's okay. And I know that Sarah loves me, and I know that um, God loves me. I've also been around long enough and doing ministry where I've had people give me prophetic words that did not come to pass until five, six years later, and that's okay. I think sometimes we live in a now culture, in an instant culture, instant uh, instant gratification. gratification. Everything is immediate where we think it is that way with God, and it's not. When... Words take a long time when our character takes longer than we wanted to, to develop, to get us to where we need to, because we're fighting God in the process and we're not ready to let go of some of the things that he's asking us to let go of. We're shooting ourselves in the foot, you know, trying to run a marathon. It comes to our own peril. Alan Hirsch in his book, really he talks about function, vertical, horizontal as a prophet operating in the function is your desire your role, your function in execution is everything has to be God oriented. There is a God centeredness to the work that we do as the body of Christ always. And one of those things is reminding people of God's covenant with his people. It's, we see that in the Old Testament all the time of God calling his people back 
through the means of a prophet, back to covenant faithfulness with him. The other part is encountering God. It's leading and showing people how they can encounter God through his words, that they're hearing him correctly. And this was the one that I struggled with that I feel like you've helped me tremendously, is tuning your ear to God's voice. What does that sound like? What does God's voice sound like? Is it my conscience? Is it my insecurity? Is it my flesh? Like what is speaking to me and learning to distinguish that in that the function is proclaiming God's word to his people. The other part, and this is, I think, a big one, spiritual awareness when it comes to spiritual warfare and spiritual discernment is another word. Discernment of spirits is a gift um, that's mentioned as well as a call to holiness. There, J.R. Woodward, he says that prophets are the heart revealers of the ecclesia, the church. Mm -hmm. They are the heart revealers and that your primary concern, if you were to say, what is a prophet, the function of a prophet, it is that God is revered, cherished, and obeyed. In essence, those are the things that you care about the most. And I think you and I talked about summarizing that in the term of purity, that you want there to be purity in the church, that there's holiness in the church. There's not just a reverence, but a delight in God. Purity is not perfection. Those do not equal each other. I think that when I think about what I care about the most when I'm serving God's people, is I care about where they are in proximity to the heart of God. Where are you with Jesus? Where Mm. are you standing? Where are you kneeling? Do you have your back turned? You know, like, where are you? And the desire is, is that if they're turned away, to turn back. That they would have an encounter with the Lord that would grab their attention and they would see, taste and see that the Lord is good in that. The desire is always that they would be brought back to a righteous place, a right standing, a right place with God. And in that, that is how God is revered. That is why he is cherished. It's because he's the only way. He's the best thing and why he's worth obeying. Because he's the best thing and he's worthy of that. And that posture is what keeps us holy before him. Like it keeps us with a righteous mindset and protects the purity of how we're operating in the function that we have or the gifting that we have. It's not a free for all. We are responsible for what we know and we are responsible for what we do. So once we know it and once we operate in it, is there grace? Yes, we don't have to be perfect. But where we are with the Lord, who we believe him to be, is what we will operate out of. We agreed that we were not going to rush the Lord in this conversation. And so the podcast times may vary, but we did not want to rush the Lord. And we definitely wanted to let the Holy Spirit move the conversation in the direction over the content that the Lord's put on our hearts to share and speak to. I think what I would like to leave you with is just that whatever you have heard, that you would sit with the Lord, that you would go to the scriptures, that you would even invite others who are trusted, who you know, that you respect, that you can rest in their relationship with the Lord when you're in their presence. That if these are some things that have brought some challenging thoughts or some wrestle, that you would have a conversation and you would not be silent and hold it but that you would actually talk about it and engage it. For some of you, maybe these were really healing words and you heard some things that really validated some things that you've experienced in church community. Maybe it has brought some revelation to some things that you've been experiencing that you're like, huh, 
I wonder if it's prophetic. Hmm. If that's the case, we're praying for you and we're excited for you for what God is going to reveal to you. And we believe that the Holy Spirit will come and show himself in a powerful way. So be blessed and we'll talk to you next time.